I'm going to do one more verse today. Last, last week, as you may recall, we did the first verse of Romans. Today, we're going to do the second verse of Romans. Going easy on you. The first verse had uh, ten words in it. second verse only has nine. But next week, make sure you have a good night's sleep because the third verse has eleven. Um, so, uh, yesterday, um, my, uh, my family went to uh, Soldier's Delight and took a little hike. Um, the, uh, and and uh, Mary found uh, an older picture of the girls. If you want to throw that up, uh, this, is, this is them six years ago. Aw, you can say aw. Yeah. Uh, and uh, this is the girls uh, yesterday. Yeah, and you can see, I mean, there's a lot of changes. You can see um, between the two. Am I allowed to, do you have to switch? It's what? Probably not working. There you go. So you can see uh, there are a lot of differences. Um, Mary's gotten a lot better at photography in the last six years. Here, let me take this down so you can see. Um, she's gotten a better camera. You can see the, the, the focus is a lot sharper. Evidently, some leaves fell in the last six years. Um, this would have worked better if we could have really toggled back and forth. But the point is uh, that six years ago, when the girls were two and three, they looked like this, and then yet now they look bigger. Many things are the same. Kara's hair, for example. The fact that they're holding hands and looking all cute means you can't hear what they're saying to each other. That's, <laughs> I believe, the same stretch of the trail. But the last six years, have seen all sorts of things happen in, in their lives and the lives of our, life of our family. There's a story that's being told. And when you look at what happened then and you look at what happened now, you start to see the path that that story is tracing. Thank you, Chuck, for throwing those up. Last week, I uh, very helpfully uh, was uh, informed by Rick Faint of the Four Spiritual Laws. Rick, would you like to tell me what those Four Spiritual Laws are? That's great. Yep are one, two, three, and four. So this week we have actually a qualified expert to help us with that. Uh, Will Griffin is with us along with his wife, Dr. Tracy Griffin. Will, a uh, highly trained ministry professional for many years with Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, Will, can you tell us what the actual four spiritual laws are? Okay. Is that different from having a wonderful plan for your life? Okay, what's the second one? Man is sinful, okay. Okay. All right. So the reason that we raised this question last week was that if you read in the very first verse of Romans, which we did, uh, we read that it says this, Paul... A devoted slave of 
Christ Jesus. And just so nobody's got any expectations, I have not memorized the whole thing. But the first verse, I got that one down pretty well. Devoted slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, and set apart for, anybody remember? For the gospel of God, for euangelion, theu, for the gospel of God. And so many of us, when we think about the word gospel, right, uh, many of us will immediately have in mind, uh, or at least kind of came up in a situation where what comes to mind is the sort of thing that that, uh, we'll describe, the four spiritual laws. God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, man is sinful, Christ died so that you could be restored to God, and then you have to put your faith in him, right? There's another picture that I I came up with that was very um, uh, influential for me, the bridge illustration. Anybody seen this one? The idea is where you've got this massive chasm between you and God, Right? It's so high you can't get over it, so low you can't get under it, so wide you can't get around it. Somehow you have to get over to God, and none of us is good enough that we can make it to God on our own, right? Right? So, you know, like, Kelly Holosky is going to get pretty close. You know, Ruth Faint's going to get pretty close. Rick, not so much. But either way, much as you might try to jump the gap, you're not going to get there. So what you need is what? A bridge. And yes, Jesus. Thank you. This is great. This is like everybody's paying attention, right? So what you need is a bridge. And the way you often see it drawn is you need the cross, right? There's a small problem with this, Okay? What happens when you get here? How do you get around the crossbar? Yeah, but it's probably, I mean, knowing me, it's going to spin and I'm going to fall off into the chasm. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. I'm going to trip before I even get there. Yes. Oh, hey. So, um, uh, here's the thing, and and I I want nobody to misunderstand what I'm saying. Often the things that we think of when we think about the gospel are things that are true, but they're not the whole story. The four spiritual laws are true. I don't miss for a minute that I want to affirm everything that they would say. And this is true, too. Physics issues with getting around the crossbar uh, aside, this is true. We are, in fact, separated from God. We're going to get to this a little bit later, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are separated from the wrath of God is being poured out on everybody, and that includes everybody, including us, unless there's some way that that wrath can be taken upon somebody else, like, say, Jesus. Good. Rick, you wait back there? Good, just making sure. Okay, so, but what we're going to find out as we go through Romans is that the story Paul tells is a much bigger one than the bridge. It's 
much bigger one than the four spiritual laws. It's a story that includes all of that, but is way bigger than any of those pieces. That story is the euangelion, the gospel of God. And let me, since you like the Greek so much, I'm going to draw it even bigger, okay? Euangelion. Smooth breathing, Mark, because I'm smooth like that. And because that's how you're supposed to say it. So Evangelion has two pieces, right? You've got U, or U if you prefer, and Angelion. Anybody know what U means in Greek? What? Not smooth. Good. Yeah, U means good. Right? Interestingly, you may have been taught that utopia means uh, tapas is Greek for place, so utopia is a good place. Not true. Utopia actually is spelled utapas, which is no place. See, a little bonus. You didn't even know you were going to get that. Just drop a knowledge left and right, because I can't help myself. But you is good. You and angelion is a message, right? Angelos. When you see angelos, what do you think? What, what? Angel. When you see angelos, you don't usually associate that with good, right? Let's leave that alone for right now. Angelos, right, is an angel. An angel is a messenger, right? Somebody who brings a message is an angelos. Somebody who brings an angelion is, uh, is a messenger. And so the angelion is the good message, the good news, right? And it is especially good news if you are a beneficiary of it. So let's say, for example, a year or so from now, you find out that the final returns are in and the last delegate count has brought your favorite candidate over the top. You're going to receive that as an euangelion, right? You're going to receive that as good news. It's news. It's a message. It's true. It's good if you are on board with it. If you are not, that may not seem like such good news. But the gospel of God, the good news about God, is good news to God's people. Those were his people now, those who are to be his people. So, Paul is an apostle, devoted slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for this gospel of God. And here in Romans, he talks about how he is telling this story, a much bigger story than the smaller stories that we sometimes think of when we hear gospel. So let's move on, if you're ready. You all ready? To verse 2. Okay, so verse 2. Ha. That's a rough breathing mark. You've got to be careful with that one. Ha pra epangelata. Dia. Phaeton, 
two, two, ln, graph ice, Hagi ice. Set apart for the gospel of God, and here comes the translation, which he promised beforehand, and who's he? God, yes, right, gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through... His uh, prophets in the holy scriptures. Paul set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures. Now, if you're familiar at all with Paul's writings, you're immediately going to be thinking about 2 Timothy chapter 3, where we have the classic statement that Paul gives us about Scripture. And some of you may have even memorized this. Paul tells his young lieutenant, Timothy, that as for you, I want you to continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And when Paul says Scripture there, what's he talking about? Is he talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? He's talking about Philemon? He's talking about the Hebrew Bible. He's talking about the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, right? I mean, at the time Paul's writing this, Probably one of the Gospels has been written and is kind of in the form we have it. But, you know, Revelation hasn't happened yet, right? John has not yet been exiled to Patmos. He hasn't had his wacky dream. Now, we read these as Scripture. When Paul talks about this as Scripture, he is talking specifically about the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament as we call it. Second Peter, we get the same kind of thing. Second Peter probably not written when Paul wrote that. Peter says, We didn't follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter saying we is referring to we, that is the we the apostles, we who had uh, Jesus appear to us. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I loved. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So here Peter is saying, Okay, I'm speaking on behalf of those who had this unique experience of the risen Jesus. But we also, he goes on to say, have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. These people were not just winging it. 
Prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's for Second uh, Peter at the end of chapter 1. The prophets spoke from God. They were human, but they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what, what Paul is doing, what Peter is doing, is they're affirming the reliability, they're affirming the importance, they're affirming the trustworthiness, the truth, the importance of the Old Testament. Jesus himself never missed this. In chapter 5 of Matthew, I know that the women's Bible study has, has recently studied this. Jesus says, chapter 5, verse 17, Don't think for a second that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. I have come to what? Fulfill them. Truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything comes to pass, and basically until the new age is born. I have not come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish the law. Don't think for a second. Jesus says this twice, right? Don't think I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. In fact, Paul in Ephesians, when he talks about the prophets, he talks about the prophets as the sort of thing that the church is built on. He says, at the end of chapter 2 of Ephesians, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people. You're also members of his household. Here Paul is speaking to Gentiles, right, saying you are now with God's people, with Israel. You are now fellow citizens. You're also members of his household that household is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus, Christ Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And in the Nicene Creed, if you can throw that up, Chuck, which we recite every time we take communion here. This is a, our statement of faith at New Hope. This is a classic statement of what believers have uh, believed always in every place. We uh, talk about how we believe in one God. We talk about how we... Many a new battery in this thing. Go ahead and, and flip ahead. Oh, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. Go ahead Talk about how uh, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. Go ahead. He was crucified. He suffered death, that he will come again. So look busy. And, uh, and then we go on to say that we believe in, wait for it, the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. When we say in the creed, he has spoken in the prophets, he has spoken through the prophets, what are we saying? What's that? Yeah, the Holy Spirit has spoken through the prophets. Yeah. Yeah, we, we're, we're saying something kind of like, 
what Paul says, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and his, his prophets and his holy scriptures. It's almost like this all sort of holds together, right? The story Paul is telling, I hope, is the story that we're trying to tell, the story that we're trying to live into. And one of the reasons why we invest so much of our time and energy here at New Hope in the Scriptures is that we take God at His word when He says the things about them that He says. We believe what Paul says when he says that God promised this gospel, this good news of God beforehand through his holy prophets in the Holy Scripture. We spent a year reading through Torah because we believe that if Jesus and Paul said none of this is going to pass away and that this is really important, we probably ought to pay attention to it. Come Advent, we're going to look again at what uh, the, the Messianic prophecies of Isaiah. We're going to look at the prophecies from the second part of Isaiah's book. Because God promised this gospel beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. When we read this word, in a sense, we are saying, okay, God, we take you at your word and we're going to do as you say we ought to do. Because if you promise this stuff to us beforehand through the prophets, then we probably ought to read them. And, you know, oftentimes, just to clear this up, sometimes when we think about prophets, we think, okay, well, that's, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Those are indeed prophets. But remember, what, what did we read at the very end of Deuteronomy? Anybody remember this? Last few verses of Deuteronomy? Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom Yahweh knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders Yahweh sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and all his officials in his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And Torah is ascribed traditionally to Moses, a prophet. Our Jewish friends refer to the historical books of the Old Testament as the former prophets, right? So when we talk about the church being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, what we are affirming is that, as we say in the Creed, God has spoken through his prophets. And if he has, then we need to pay attention to them which is why we do what we do. Next week, we're going to look at David, whom we really haven't talked about at all for a year. So that'll be exciting, won't it? Let's pray. Lord, we confess that it's very easy for us to import our ideas into your word. We, we can get a, a sense of what something means, and then we map that onto what we read, which is why, Lord, we continually ask that when we read your word, 
that you would teach us, that you would open us to hear what you have to say to us, that we would constantly find in your word a fount of wisdom. We find truth that challenges us, that confronts us with who we are, that comforts us with who you are, what you have done for us, what you continue to do. Lord, we pray that we would always submit our ideas, our preferences, we would submit our prejudices, that we would submit all of who we are to you. That when we read your word, we would read with open hearts and open minds, open hands to receive what you have for us. That when we find things that are difficult to understand, that we would ask your spirit to enlighten us. When we find things that are uncomfortable for us, that we would ask that you would comfort us where we need to be comforted because we're afflicted, but that you would afflict us where we need to be afflicted because we've gotten too comfortable. We pray that we would be people who take you at your word, who receive the gift that you have given us with joy, with gratitude, that we would be people who study with diligence and with humility. We pray that when we open your word, that our prayer would be just what we sang, that you would speak whenever we receive the food of your holy word. And we ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.